so exciting to be able to come back to week three of our Colossians series, Jesus over everything. He is over it all. He is in all, through all, above all, before all. He is all. And his name is Jesus. And I love that we've been singing that song, I Speak Jesus. And it's important for us right now to be speaking that name of Jesus over our circumstance because at the mention of his name, every knee bows and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Let's have a really quick look at what we talked about in the first couple of weeks. In the, the first week, we spoke about Christ is Lord of all and how he is in all and through all and above all. And that's a central theme, I think, to the book of Colossians. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's gone through all of these different things, but he's writing this, this letter to encourage the church in Colossae um, around some heresies that have been there, but he wants to place Jesus at his rightful place right in the center above everything else. And then last week we talked about turning our misery into our mission and we looked at how we are responsible not to just sit there and suffer and, and whinge about it, but to actually get on with the job. Uh, it says in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's what we are called to do. So let's get on with that mission Today we're actually talking about something a little bit different. I love to see warning signs. Sometimes I ignore them, right? If you've ever been driving in a car and you might see something down the road and you're just like, oh, I didn't even know what that sign said or you're, you're drifting away with your thoughts or sometimes from time to time you'll see something that catches your attention and there are some warning signs that we can see in society and if you've ever searched the internet that some of them are a little bit more interesting than others. Let's check out a couple of these warning signs. First one, and this is about an iron. Do not iron while wearing shirt. Um, that's pretty obvious for some people, but we should probably pay attention to that. Do not iron while wearing shirt. What, what's the next one that we've got here? Okay, do not breathe under the water. Oh, I would have thought that that would be obvious, but not necessarily for everyone. So don't breathe under the water. What else have we got here? Yeah, okay, so this is a coat hanger. Caution, do not swallow. Don't swallow the coat hanger. Look, I'm not even going to put it as a challenge. I don't even reckon you could, but you'll end up like that guy with a triangle in your neck. That's pretty interesting. What else, what else have we got here? All right, this one's pretty, pretty good. Touching wires causes instant death and you'll get a $200 fine. Thank you to the Newcastle Tramway Authority. Okay, let's go through these. Warning, no swimming if you can't swim. Uh, hey, I'm not the one making these ones up. What else, what else have we got here? Caution, this sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. Oh, also, the bridge is out ahead. <laughs> so I love that there's certain people are very creative. We've got one more, I think, to show. And warning... This is a sign. Yes, it is a sign. But there's certain things on different devices that we, we have and that, that come up and we, we, um, we need some more instruction around things. We need some, more, um, some, some closer level of detail around things. So I, I've seen a sign uh, on the microwave instruction that says, do not use to dry pets. We, we need these warning signs because otherwise someone just might think it's a good idea. 
Have it a sign on a hairdryer that says, do not use while sleeping. If you could use the hairdryer while sleeping, it would probably save you a fair bit of time in the morning. A sign on sleeping pills may cause drowsiness. Yes, these are some of the obvious things that people say. How about this? A sign on a packet of peanuts. It says may contain peanuts. We, some of us need a little bit more translation. Yeah, so some warning signs are common sense and others are not so much common sense. But maybe this says something about our society these days. I, I was talking the other day to, to one of the people in our church. We're out for lunch. We're, we're chatting about this. But maybe society's gotten a little bit less intelligent because we used to have manuals for a car that showed us how to change the oil and do some basic maintenance. But now they say, don't drink the battery fluid. So maybe our intelligence has, has dropped off. But I love warning signs. I, I love seeing funny things like this on the internet. But today, I think when we dive into this next chapter of the book of Colossians and this next part of this, the title of my message today is Believers Beware. Believers Beware. We, uh, this book, is, this chapter is a warning sign to the church. And right at the very beginning, there's a huge Pay attention when Paul says in the very beginning of chapter 2, says, I want you to know. That's another way of saying, pay close attention. Pay close attention. Last week we looked at the word contending. As Paul uses it here, you know, it's an example of someone who is contending as in like a physical challenge, like a race or, or maybe even a fight. And in, in that, that word that we used last week, that word for I strenuously contend, it said that we are contending to the point of extreme exhaustion. Extreme exhaustion, extreme exertion, and we are done. That's how strongly Paul is contending. And there's three groups of people that Paul was contending for. The Colossians, the Laodiceans, and for those he hasn't even met. You know what? He fights for the people he hasn't met because their doctrine is important. The message that Jesus is over everything is so important that he will fight for it even from prison. You know, John Piper, who's a New Testament theologian, says, Sacrificial struggle leads to love. Love leads to assured understanding of God. Assured understanding leads to strong encouragement. And encouragement guards from delusion. Paul's writing a warning here in chapter 2. We're going to read through it in a moment. There's, there's a, and there's a couple of different warnings that are in this passage that we need to guard people from delusion because it's so easy nowadays to you sit, slip into the slipstream, hear something nice and fancy on YouTube and go, well, that sounds good to me, I'll take that. But we need to actually understand that everything needs to be tested against the word of God. So the first warning is that we need to beware of empty philosophies. Beware of empty philosophies. And we're going to read from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea who, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I, <coughs> excuse me. 
It's hay fever season. I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on our human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness." He is the head over every power and authority. I think right now is a good time for us to pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you sent the scriptures to guide us, to lead us, but also to help us to beware of the doctrine that we receive, to help us to test things and to prove things against your word. And we pray today that as we dive into this second chapter of Colossians, that you would just... Enlarge our, hearts, enlarge our hearts to be able to receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at, he's warning us against certain philosophies that are creeping into the church. Now, um, Robert Gramacki says this. He goes, parents have got a natural concern when their children are still living at home, but parental anxiety increases when the children are miles away without any possibility of direct help or supervision. We know this for a fact because last year, just, just at the time when we were moving down here, so at the end of 2019, Rachel and I relocated down here to, to Horsham and our daughter Chloe stayed in Sydney. And let me tell you, we were always thinking about how she, she'd moved out of home. And we we're always thinking about her. What's she doing? Is she okay? Is everything all right? Is what she eating for dinner? And you, you, your level of anxiety when you've got a distance between you and the child, it it causes a level of anxiety that you haven't had before. And, and this is what Paul is facing here. These children are not really his children. They're more like his grandchildren. So he is the one who led Epaphras to Christ. Epaphras then took the gospel to Colossae and started the church there and in Laodicea. He's like a multi-campus pastor. He's you know, going between these places. And, and so he, Paul is writing this out of concern for these people that he hasn't even met. And he's treating them like children. When he hears that there's heresy coming in, when there's empty philosophies... And he goes, I've actually got to address this situation. So he's taken the position of a parent whose child is far away and he is contending strenuously for them. For them. This is an encouragement to stand strong on you know, how you're raised, not to be blown around by every single wind of doctrine that comes. We've got to be strong and stand in the word. And we've got to you know, remember that some of those times, and I think... Um, I heard this last week that when we lack a deep sense of thankfulness to God, we are especially vulnerable to doubt and spiritual delusion. Thankfulness, when we're grateful, when we're thankful for what God has given us, we can strengthen ourselves against the things that come in. It's that root of thankfulness and gratefulness that helps to build a strong foundation. You know, when Paul says in here, um, when he says, see to it, 
Um, he, this can also be translated as another word for watch out. Watch out, something's coming. Watch out. Who, who's ever seen one of those movies where you, there's a car chase? I love a good car chase movie too. Blues Brothers would probably have to be one of the, the best all-time car chases. Uh, but there's always in the car chase you'll see that there's, there's, a, um, there's an overpass that's being built. Right? And then there's, there's barricades and warning signs and don't go any further and if you do, there's trouble ahead. And generally when you see that in, in the bigger picture of a car chase, you know that one of the cars is going to go straight through the barricades and, and, and forget about that. And they're going to end up either dangling over the edge of the overpass or over the edge of a cliff or, or they've gone flying over. Yeah, this, is, this is kind of what Paul's saying. He's like going, watch out. It's a warning sign. This warning is actually a warning sign about being held captive. You know, it vividly expresses the danger that the readers may be carried off as plunder by an alien and fundamentally anti-Christian form of teaching. All right? So we've got to remember that Epaphras is the founder of the church in Colossae. He's come to Paul for help in combating some specific heresies spread by one or more in the congregation. And Robert Gramacchi again says, the, the heretical teacher, therefore, is like a slave trader. He wants to steal the believer away from his spiritual family and sell him as a slave into false doctrine. But we see here that Paul's being a little bit diplomatic. I, I said in week one that this letter is like a, a theological correction wrapped in a hug of encouragement. The language is flowery, it's nice, it's, you know, if you were the perpetrator, if you were the one who was in Colossae, who was spreading these different philosophies, or was, you know, perpet perpetuating the, the, um, the heresy that was happening there, if you were the one who was sitting in that congregation and you were listening to Epaphras as he read this letter out, you would be in no doubt as to who Paul was talking about. He was talking about you. And he, he doesn't single anybody out. He doesn't call people by name. It, the person who would have been believing these things and spreading these things would have been left in no doubt as to who Paul was talking about. But the word here for philosophy is the, is the Greek word philosophia. All right? It's pretty close. You can probably get that that's where we get our word from. And, and it's used a little bit more widely than what we use it for today. When we talk about philosophy, we kind of think of this kind of highfalutin system of thinking that you know it's kind of beyond the normal person right but philosophy in greek times is a bit broader it's referring to any system of thought right so any way of thinking you know and what it's talking about is philosophies that aren't biblically grounded can be dangerous and potentially keep us captive and we get wrapped up we get wrapped up in worldly thinking rather than godly thinking Douglas Moo, who, who writes a fantastic book on the New Testament, um, it talks about in, um, from this passage, he talks in direct contrast to these descriptions stands the gospel. Where philosophy deceives people, the gospel is true and reliable. Where philosophy is empty and devoid of spiritual value, the gospel is powerful and transforming. These philosophies and thinking patterns cannot stand in the face of the gospel. You know, this warning sign here in Colossians reminds me a little bit of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing 
and perfect will. We need to be wary of empty and vain philosophies and humanistic thinking that detracts and distracts from the gospel. There's a second warning that we're going to look at, and that is to beware religious legalism. We need to be wary of religious legalism. This was a, a problem in that time and in that particular church as you had two cultures that were combining. You had the original Jews who had moved into Colossae, who had been brought up in the Judaistic culture, which was very legalistic. You need to do this, 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 and this. And then even when you've done all of that, you've got to do this, 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 and then. You can't touch this. You can't eat that. You can't drink this. You can't speak to that person. You've got to have this covered. And all of these different things that Jesus knew and God knew that we could never, ever live up to. And so you've got that side. Plus then you've also got the pagan side who actually used to worship idols and in the temple of Diana and they would, they would have all of these Greek gods. So you had these two cultures sort of merged together in, this, in these backgrounds in this, um, in this city of Colossae in the church there. Let's read Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Just remember, we come out of verse 10, we're talking about Jesus and the fullness. Yeah. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He had taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, seeing as all of that is done for you and you now have a standing in Christ and he has already done all of that therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration or a sabbath day these things are a shadow they are a shadow of the things that were to come the reality however is found in Christ wow this whole passage here this is a direct attack on some of the core tenets of the Judaistic faith, which Paul was one of the biggest proponents of. He was a Pharisee. He was a part of that sect. He was one of the biggest proponents of, of the Judaistic culture. He was one of the ones who used to go and, and, um, and stone Christians. He would persecute Christians. And now he's had his life turned around and he's realized that all of the fullness of everything is found in Christ and therefore you cannot be judged by whether or not you adhere to this, 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 this. All of those things are now shadows of what was to come, but the reality is found in Jesus Christ. Remember, just before this, we read, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. Once again, Paul places Jesus Christ over everything. Major part of the Colossian heresy was to stick to the religious legalistic practices of the Judaistic faith. That Christ wasn't enough and that you also had to be circumcised. Romans 2.28 says this, 
A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Paul's saying that a non-physical circumcision is far more important than what you do on the outside. Your outward appearance has got no comparison to what Jesus has already done for us on the inside and in our mind. This is not and cannot be performed by human hands. I love that it talks about this passage, and I preached a message on this a while ago called The Victory in the Cross, that Jesus has cancelled our indebtedness. Um, you know, the legal indebtedness from Colossians 2.14, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, he takes that away. He nails it to the cross. It's like this proper legal charge, like a legal document that is against us and we have no standing but we are subject to us because we are guilty. And this is what Jesus does. In the role as the judge, he stamps that charge complete. Yes, this charge is true, it is complete, but he also stamps it paid in full by what he did on the cross and he nails it to the cross with him, which is where the power to cancel it comes from and he cancels the charge. The wording in all of this is like that cancelled wording, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, is like it never existed. It's like what Jesus did on the cross, he actually took our, our legal form of indebtedness and he just demolished it he paid it he the law needed to be fulfilled and he paid it but then it was like it never ever existed paul goes on in this passage to describe the freedom that we have in christ over man-made rules and regulations like circumcision he even goes on to say don't let anybody judge you in food or drink or celebrations or the sabbath I've got to be really, really careful with this part of the text because I don't want it to mean what I want, but I want it rather to be what is intended to the reader. Colossians 2.17 says, These are a shadow. It's like we talk about the scriptures as now I, I, I look and see as though I'm in a mirror or I see through a glass darkly, but then I will see face to face. These things are like a shadow. They're like a, a poor representation of what was to come. The reality of all of that is that all of what was to come was Christ Jesus. And those things are not in comparison with. Hebrews 10.1 says that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never be by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. It's done. We can't continually keep just continually doing the sacrifices that were part of that culture, that Judaistic, legalistic culture. It's not going to make you any closer to Christ. It doesn't. Once again, Paul brings it back to Christ. All these things are subject to him, whether it's food or drink, whether it's festivals, legalistic behaviours, they are all a shadow of what is or what is coming or was coming. The reality that Christ is over everything and our fullness is found in him. And now we come to our third and final warning. Beware man-made disciplines. And I'm going to wrap up with this one. 
Beware of man-made discipline. So we talked about we're being aware and warning of empty philosophies. We've got to beware of empty philosophies. We've got to beware of, of the legalistic, religious legalism that is in, so invasive. And sometimes it's still invasive in our lives today. We think that if we can do this, 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 and this, then, then that's our ticket. But it's not true. Colossians chapter 2, verses 18 to 23 says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with their idle notions by their unspiritual mind. Wow. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body is supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? Why? You can kind of hear it in Paul's tone here. Why? As though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch these rules which have to do with the things that are all destined to perish with use are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I'm trying to work out how to continue with this because this is a really, really important passage of Scripture. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone disqualify you. You know, this, this part of this is, is translated in such a way with the thought of an umpire in sports or a race giving a negative verdict. So someone superior who's over and above is giving you like the negative results. So you're disqualified or here's a yellow card or a red card. You're off the field. That's the kind of thought here. Don't let anyone disqualify you. But it also can be translated as a don't let the one who is delighting in false humility and angel worship condemn you. Don't let the person who is holier than thou condemn you. Don't let the person who makes up all of these rules condemn you. You see, Paul's describing a group of people in this passage who have an outward appearance of being holy, spiritual, elite, but they actually lack any restraint when it comes to indulging. It's the, these are the rules, but I'm going to do something different when I'm in private. Or I don't actually, I, I don't have to do that. that. That's for somebody else. They make the rules, not spiritual, but by man to determine how you should live. And then they judge everybody else by that standard that they set for themselves. So if you've made a decision in your life about what you should do, it's not your job to judge everybody else by what they do. These people have lost connection with the head, Christ, who holds the whole body together. That whole passage to me has got me thinking and over and over about how do we treat one another? How do we judge one another? How, how many people have... How many people used to come here? How many people used to go to church? But because of the standards set by men, they can no longer feel like they belong. 
I think there's something in that for us. Paul encourages and exhorts the church in Colossae not to submit themselves to such rules and such behaviors and such people. In verse 20, he's quite implicit in his language. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belonged to the world, do you submit to its rules? And why now that you don't belong to the world, still act as though you do belong to the world? All of these things that you have been focusing on, working hard, trying to get to heaven, trying to appear more spiritual, making up ways in which to punish yourself, to be more humble. Remember, that was one of the heresies of the Colossian church was asceticism, which means that the more harshly I treat myself, the more I fast, the more I whip myself, the more I mistreat myself and beat up on myself, the more that Jesus will like me or more that God will accept me. That was one of the heresies. All of those things are temporary and they have no basis in eternity. It's all man-made, not God-made. None of these things actually make you any more spiritual. Even though in your mind, you might think that you're being more spiritual. Oh, gee, if I am, if I only got up an extra hour earlier and, and, and prayed for three more hours every day or if I, if I could only fast for 40 days you know, every year I almost said every month but that would be impossible if I only did this but if I could only do that then I would be closer to Jesus and I would be closer to God if I, if I beat up on myself enough and there is some sex within certain parts of the Catholic Church who will whip themselves so that they can become more like Jesus because Jesus had stripes but those things are not temporary and they don't make you any more like Jesus Christ has done it all things that make we might think make us more spiritual self-imposed worship false humility harsh treatment of the body these things have got no benefit in keeping you from sin and sensual indulgence. So be wary of man-made disciplines. All of these things, all of these warnings, they point back to the Colossian heresies that have been taught, that Christ is not enough, that there's a higher knowledge, that there's Jesus plus. But what Paul is doing here is he's reminding the readers to go back to chapter 1, Jesus over everything. Jesus is over our worldly philosophies and ideology. He's over our religious legalism. And why do we keep doing the same things? He's over the man-made disciplines. He's warning them to stay the course and to stay grounded in truth. Colossians 2, 6-7 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, Strengthened in the faith as you were taught with overflowing and thankfulness. That's the grounding that we need. We need to come back to that being thankful for who Jesus is and that He is everything, that He is over all, He is in all, He is through all, He is above all, He is before all. He is Jesus. And we need to come back to that truth. 
We can't keep adding in, oh, if only we did this, or if we didn't break that rule, or if we didn't do this, then we would be more like him. He has already made us like him. And I want to pray a prayer today asking everyone who's listening within the sound of my voice to accept Jesus, who has done it all, who was before everything else, who is at the beginning of creation. It says in the message translation of of Colossians chapter 1 that he was supreme in the beginning and he is supreme in the end. And for anybody who's listening to me right now and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the ruler of your heart, I would love to invite you today to join with me in prayer, to accept him, come into your heart. He says that he will wash you clean and make you as white as snow. It's as though he canceled all of your legal indebtedness, all of your sin, all of your shame. He canceled it on the cross. And we know now, now no longer have to live that way anymore. And we can live in the truth that Jesus is over everything. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Lord Jesus, I ask you today to come into my heart and give me a brand new start. I am sorry for all of my mistakes. But today, Jesus, I'm asking for your forgiveness to wash me clean and make me new. I accept now with you in my heart, I am now a child of God, a new creation. I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, maybe it was for the first time or for the hundredth time, I would like to invite you to contact us as a church. You can see the details are up there on the screen. You can get in touch with our email. You can put up your hand in the chat. You can um, send us a direct message. You can call our church office, carry a pigeon, whatever. But it's important that you do because there's a journey that you are about to embark on that we would love to help you with. And we'd love to give you this gift. It's a Bible. Uh, it starts off in the book of Romans with the Roman road. And we would love to give this to you. And I personally would love to meet you and pray with you. And even if that's just by a phone call, we would love to be able to touch base with you. But hey, there's one more prayer I'd love to pray over you as we conclude this service today. And that's just a prayer of blessing. And we believe that you know, God's got the best in store for you. That no matter what things that you've been through and whatever this week held or whatever confusion that's in your mind, that the Lord is looking out for you. That he's above all, he's in all, he's through all, he's over all. And this is just a prayer of blessing over you. So why don't you stretch forward your hands wherever you are and let me pray over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless you, church. We love you. Have a fantastic afternoon and we will see you next week. God bless you.